I want to tell you something that happens from time to time uh, when I'm in certain places, like where networking happens. And maybe you've had this happen to you, maybe in your neighborhood or, or, or something like that. Um, but it's places where it starts off with, with like um, small talk, right? You know, how you doing? Good, good, good. You know, and you small talk. And then this question happens that always, at least for me, it'd probably be different for most of you, but for me, the conversation gets really weird all of a sudden because they ask me, so what do you do for a living? Right, and I've tried to think of as many creative ways to say pastor as I can, but there aren't any. Um, uh, And so I just go, "Um, I'm a pastor. And they go, oh. And then the conversation gets really weird. And maybe you've experienced that in different ways. Maybe if you host a growth group at your house, um, you, you know, you've had a neighbor ask, so what were all those cars doing at your house on last night? Y'all having a party? Like, no, nah, it's a Bible study. I mean, we had fun, uh, but it was a Bible study. Oh, oh, or, or where do you go on Sunday mornings? Like, you're not one of those church people, are you? Yes, yes, we are. I actually had a friend of mine. This was back in Texas, and she's now an attorney, and you'll understand why when I tell you the story. Because somebody asked her, you're not one of those, what they call a Bible, they said, you're not one of those Bible hitters, are you? She's like, the term is Bible thumper and yes. <laughs> but we've all been in these situations where when we say we're Christians, it changes things, right? And we all get the same look. We get the look of shock and then confusion because they thought you were cool. And they're confused. And then you get the smile of like, oh, bless your heart. <laughs> right? And we've all experienced this on certain levels. And maybe your experience though has been more direct. Like those are easy and we can laugh at them. But maybe, maybe when you said you're a Christian or you, you said you're a follower of Jesus, maybe somebody made fun of you. Maybe you're at school and, and the friends that you thought were close friends decided not to be friends with you, but to be friends with more of a party crowd instead of you. And they say, well, it's because you go to church. It's because you follow that Jesus guy. Maybe, maybe um, at work. Maybe you lost a promotion because of your faith. Because your boss knows you're gonna do what's honest and you're gonna do what's, what's trustworthy And maybe your boss wants somebody who's not going to quite do that all the time. And so you lost a promotion because of your faith. Maybe you lost a marriage because of your faith. Because you've become a Christian and you're growing with the Lord and your spouse didn't and won't. And they decided to leave you because of your faith. You see... These are big and small examples of what we're going to talk about today because today we're going to talk about persecution. Now, persecution is simply defined as any type of mistreatment based on your identification with Jesus Christ. That's what persecution is. Anything that happens to you in a mistreatment, in a negative way, that happens because of your identification with Jesus Christ is considered persecution. Now, when I was writing this sermon, I actually thought about talking about suffering instead of persecution. But to be more true to what the Bible is talking about, to be more true about what Paul is talking about, persecution fits this better. Because we all suffer for different reasons. But persecution is a very uh, small niche of suffering. 
suffering where you are experiencing mistreatment because of your identification with Jesus Christ. For us as Americans, it's, it's even a smaller subset of what persecution is. When you, when you scan out to see what's happening around the world, let me, let me tell you some things uh, that, that this organization called Open Door USA, and they're a website that monitors persecution across the world. This is what they identify as happening to our brothers and sisters in Christ every month, right? So, so what I'm about to show you is what happens to to people, if they were living here in Asheville and living here in this Oakley area, might be sitting next to you in the pew. But they don't live here. They live elsewhere, and they are suffering this. Every month worldwide, 255 Christians are killed simply because they have said yes to Jesus. Every month. Every month, 104 are abducted. They are kidnapped because they have said yes to Jesus because of their Christian faith. 180 Christian women are sexually harassed or abused or forced into marriage because of their identification with Jesus Christ. That if they were to renounce Jesus, these things wouldn't happen to them. But every month, 180 women 66 churches are attacked. I just heard this morning that a church in the Philippines was attacked. Um, Every month, 66 churches are attacked because of their identification with Jesus Christ. And every month, 160 Christians are detained without trial and imprisoned because of their faith in Jesus Christ. That is persecution. That is what's happening around the world. And y'all, it is a growing And it is a growing problem every month. These numbers could get more and more and more. And here's what I hope happens today, that this persecution, this this mistreatment based on identification with Jesus Christ, that, that I hope we leave here understanding this is a real problem. And it's a real problem that we don't suffer the same way uh, that the rest of the world does. And it's a real problem that Paul suffered with And he didn't let it destroy his joy. But what I don't want us to walk out of this place with is knowledge. I don't want you to walk out of here with pity for them. I think they would hate for you to walk out of here with pity for them. Because what I want us to walk out of here with, what I hope happens today as we talk about persecution, is that you experience the God who is worthy of persecution, that you get to experience the God who is worthy of all those stats because the reason those people were killed and imprisoned and, and, and everything else was because they saw our Jesus, their Jesus, as worthy of death. That's our Jesus. So as we go through this passage today, That's what I hope that we walk out of here with. When we face persecution of any kind, when our friends laugh at us, when our neighbors give us that bless your heart look, when when a job gets passed, when we get passed over for a job, when our spouse ridicules us because of our faith in Jesus Christ, I hope that we don't respond with anger or fear or insecurity or worry, but that we respond in a much better way. Because I believe what we're going to see today, if we get this right in our heads and in our souls, we will see a better 
way to respond. Now we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 12 through 18. Um, And if you need a Bible, there's one in front of you. It's on page 816 of that Bible. Uh, Or you can download the Bible app. And we're under events and then click on Fellowship Asheville and all the stuff will be there. Um, And as you're turning there, I want to explain where we are in our series called Eclipse. Uh, We've got all these lights up here and and a logo and stuff. and, And we're going through the book of Philippians and we're using the imagery of an eclipse. Now, the the book of Philippians is a book about joy, and it's a book about how to have joy in an unjoyful situation, right? And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute as we see the situation that Paul was in, but but his situation was anything but joyful, and and yet the book of Philippians, it's only four chapters long, the way we have it broken up in chapters, and it mentions joy over, I think it's like 16 different times. It is a major theme in this book, and yet... Neither Paul nor the Philippians were really in this joyful situation. And so why didn't we call this series Joy? Because that's boring, one. And we've got creative people that I want to have a lot more fun with it. And we wanted to capture something that Paul is alluding to in this. And this is, this, it is this, that that joy that we have, we can let it slip through our fingers for the wrong reasons. And so we're using this picture of an eclipse to show us that. Because an eclipse, and, and uh, how many of y'all drove to experience the, the totality of the eclipse a few months ago? Okay, so you know how amazingly freaky that was, right? Like to see streetlights come on in the middle of the afternoon and, and the shadows were different and just everything was so weird. Well, an eclipse, here's what happens. If this is the size of the moon, all right, let's use our imaginations. This is the size of the moon, and this entire back wall is the size of the sun. What you experience when you experience the eclipse is this little thing covered up the light of that big thing. That's crazy, y'all. This should never cover the light of all of that, but it does because of one word. And that word is perspective, that where you are determines what you see. Joy in the Lord is very much the same way in its practicality, right? Because when you have this Jesus-bought relationship with God, the joy of the Lord is like the sun. And it is always available to you, all the time, 24-7, fully available to you. And yet, we let these little things get in the way. And when we do, it eclipses our joy. And for those of you who drove to see the total eclipse, all you had to do is drive a little bit further and everything would have been normal because that's a change of perspective. And so what Paul is saying and what we're preaching through is that when these little things eclipse your joy, all you need is a little shift in your perspective and it changes everything. And you get to embrace and fully see the joy that the Lord has for you. And what we're going to see today is that persecution in any form can be one of these little things that gets in the way of the joy of the Lord for us. It's one of those things, this little thing can get in the way of the big joy that God has for us. Well, let's see what Paul has to say about his persecution and about how we can have Uh, a shift in our thinking about it. Look at verse 12. 
It says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me. Now, I'm going to stop here real quick and just kind of catch, if you're new, to catch you up on what has happened to Paul. So Paul was this ancient uh, church planter. Um, He was a missionary. He started churches everywhere he went, and he started this church in this place called Philippi, which is near ancient Greece, where, uh, where, where Greece is today. He started a church there, went on about his journeys, and and then he got thrown in prison for sharing his faith, for doing exactly what I do up here every Sunday. He got thrown in prison, and he was in a Roman prison. Uh, He wasn't in a prison where you think of like the dark, damp cell with the, I've I've always said this, with like the beam of light shining on the skeleton of his cellmate. Like that's not the prison he was in. He was under house arrest, which meant he literally had one or two guards chained to him 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He couldn't work, um, so he had to have all of his food and money provided to him from from believers, Um, and and so that happened. Um, And so he was very constrained in what he did. Now, in every opportunity, he could have not experienced joy, and yet he's writing this letter about joy with that being his circumstance. He wasn't free. He was chained to guards, he couldn't work, and everything he needed had to be provided by somebody else. That's just the beginning of, the, of his circumstances. But the reason he's there is because he's suffering through persecution. The reason he's there is because of his identification with Jesus Christ. If at any point in time he would have said, guys, guess what, I'm just kidding. All this, I'm just kidding, it was a big hoax. I'm gonna go back to persecuting the church, which is what he did before. They would have said, great, come on out, but he didn't. He had to let his integrity and his identity with Christ take him through this this path of of mistreatment. And so what he's gonna do first is he's gonna talk about those outside the church and the effect that his persecution is having on them. In particular, he's gonna talk about the guards that are attached to him and those around him who don't know Jesus as their savior and what his persecution is, is doing to them. So, so look at the rest of verse 12. He says, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And so here's what's interesting. Right from the very beginning, he says, listen, I'm in jail, I'm in prison, you know that, I know that. Um, I have a choice here. I could get really upset and, and whine about it, but here's what I'm seeing. While I'm in jail, the gospel is spreading like wildfire. The gospel is going out so that my persecution isn't silencing the gospel. Actually, my persecution is promoting the gospel. And, and now this is important because we tend to think just the opposite. We tend to think that when something is persecuted, when something is hunted, when something is killed, it eventually will go, go extinct because that's what happens in the wild, right? If a certain species is hunted, and it continues to be hunted, and it continues to be killed, eventually that species becomes an endangered species. And once it becomes an endangered species, there are all these laws to protect it. But if people break those laws and still hunt that animal, then it moves from endangered to extinct, and it no longer exists. That works in, the, in wildlife. Church life is completely different. When the church is persecuted, It doesn't stop or shrink, it grows. And you can see that in Russia, you can see it in China, you can see it in any country that says Christianity is illegal. What happens is there is this underground movement and the church 
grows in the midst of, of sometimes intense persecution. And it's what happened here. That when the church is persecuted, it didn't stop. It continued to grow. And last week we saw what to do when the what of God's plans doesn't make sense. Because I guarantee you this didn't make sense to Paul. His persecution wasn't on his to-do list, right? As he said, his goals for the year, like whatever year it was, the year 55 AD or whatever, his New Year's resolution wasn't to get persecuted. And yet, we saw last week why God would have us go through persecution. And so here's a little pop quiz. I was a school teacher. I gave pop quizzes when I was a student. I hated pop quizzes, so I don't know why I gave them as a teacher, but I did. So I'm gonna give you one from last week, right? When the what of God's plan doesn't make sense, you can trust the, y'all were listening, yay. Yes, you can trust the why of God's plan. This we got from our text last week and we saw that the why of God's plan is always the same. When the what doesn't make sense, you can trust the why. And the why of God's plan is to take the gospel deeper in you and wider than you. See, I gave away the answer right there, didn't I? That's all right. It's to take the gospel wider than you. Paul, in last week's message, we talked about how the gospel was going deeper into him. But here we see that oftentimes, you know, we don't have persecution in our plans and it doesn't make sense to us. It doesn't make sense to you why you didn't get the job. It doesn't make sense to you why the person who loves you treats you the way they do. It doesn't make sense to you that your friends who said y'all were best friends are now choosing to be best friends with somebody else. That doesn't make sense, right? That the, the what of God's plan doesn't make sense there, but the why can because the why is that he's taking the gospel deeper into you and he's taking the gospel wider than you. Because Paul is going to show us how persecution is taking the gospel wider than him. That it doesn't stop the gospel, it promotes the gospel. Because look at what is happening in verse 13. It says, um, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all of the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And so what Paul's saying is like, listen, this gospel that I am being imprisoned for, this gospel that I'm chained to these guards for, guess what? That gospel is going out to that, that imperial guard. That gospel is going out to those people who are imprisoning me, imprisoning me, and it's even going beyond that. It's even going to the palace. It's going everywhere this gospel is because they know that my imprisonment isn't because I'm a criminal, that my imprisonment is because of that gospel. Now, as I was writing this, I was like, and how in the world does that happen? How does the gospel go out from Paul to the guards, from the guards, to their commanders, from the commanders, to the, to the palace. And, 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 and so I just kind of imagined for a little bit what I know about Paul and what I know about that time in Roman history and, and his imprisonment. And I just imagine these guards in their barracks, right? And they get the order that it's their job for the next week to be chained to Paul. And they're probably like, oh, we've heard about this guy. That Jesus freak, that's who we gotta be chained to. But the commander told them to go. They cuss about it, they gripe about it. And they go. And they're chained to Paul. And they watch this guy who's in prison live a life that doesn't make sense to them. They watch him receive people into this house 
to bring food and to bring, to bring provision for him. And instead of griping about the situation that he's in, he instead goes, how are y'all doing? What's God doing in your life? What do you see the gospel doing out in this city? Tell me, tell me about you. And they think that's weird. They see Paul laugh. They see him study the scriptures. They see him pray. They see this light in his eyes. And this whole time, they're chained to him. They hear him sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And they look at him, and they're like, how is this dude so happy in jail? Because they've been chained to other prisoners who were miserable and who were awaiting death with despair. And they see Paul awaiting what could be death with happiness, because that's what it looks like to them. It looks like this guy is happy. And they may think to themselves, okay, either he is just completely insane, and he has, he has no tight screw in his head, they're all loose, or we gotta find out. And so one day they asked Paul, Paul, how in the world can you be so happy in a place like this? And maybe, maybe he would say something like this. Maybe he would, he would look at these guards and he would call them by name because I guarantee you he knew their names. Maybe they even heard him pray for them out loud as they were sitting there in prison. And so he would ask them, he, he would say, he would call them by name and he'd like, listen, he'd say, I once persecuted the Jesus freaks just like you did. I was once standing right in your shoes. And then... At that point in my life, I let happiness come from things that happiness was never meant to come from. He might look at them and say, listen, I let happiness come from my job. I worked really hard. Just like you two guys are working hard, I worked really hard. And my job at one point in time was to persecute Jesus freaks, was to persecute people just like me. And I put in extra hours. And the one thing I learned is that at night, that happiness would be gone because of, of two reasons. One, there's always somebody who works harder than me. And even though I told myself time and time again I was the best at what I do, the reality is there were some other really good persecutors out there too. And then two, not only was there always someone better, no matter how hard I worked, my boss never saw it. He never acknowledged how hard I worked. And at the end of the day, when I put my head on the pillow, that happiness that I felt in my job would be gone. And he said, maybe, maybe you guys experienced that too. And he'd say, but I also really enjoyed the power that my job gave me. And I put my happiness in that power. That I enjoyed being the guy that would walk into a group of people that were praying to Jesus and dragging them to jail. I enjoyed beating them. I enjoyed seeing them crucified for that faith. That power was like, was like an elixir to me, but the problem is it wore off. And at night, that happiness would be gone. He goes, and then I saw something. I saw one of the guys that we were persecuting. He said, my job that day was to hold the outer garments of everybody because they held rocks in their hands and they gathered around this guy named Stephen. 
And their job was to ask him one last time, are you a follower of Jesus? And if he would have said no, the next sound I would have heard would have been rocks dropping to the ground and everybody would have left. But not only did this Stephen guy say yes, he gave one of the best sermons I've ever heard with these guys standing with rocks in their hands. And not only did he give the best sermon I ever heard, when they started hitting him with those rocks and when blood started splattering everywhere, what you would expect to be cries of despair and anguish, Paul would say, I, would, I looked at him and the only thing I could say is that his face looked like the face of an angel. He looked happy as he was facing death. And Paul might say, I thought to myself, when I die, am I gonna be happy? Paul might say, because my answer is no. And then I was on my way to actually persecute a whole nother church. And on the way, I met the Jesus that I persecute, persecuted. And what I realized when Jesus showed me who he was and who he is, is that he's not one to be persecuted. He is one to be worshiped. And that changed everything for me. Paul might say, I thought what I was doing was good and right and that God was happy with me. But what I realized is that in Jesus, he is truly happy with me because he, when he sees me, he sees his son. And that's when he showed me that there's more to life than just happiness. There's this thing called joy in life. And joy is found only in Jesus. That's what Paul would say, I think. But then he would look at these guards because Paul was an evangelist and he might ask them, Bob, Steve, tell me, do you know what I'm talking about when you lay your head on the pillow at night and that happiness is gone and in its place is worry and insecurity and despair and fear? And if they're honest, they would have said, yeah. And maybe Paul would look at him and go, well, let me introduce you to the Jesus who can fix that. And who can give you this joy that's beyond your job, this joy that's beyond your power. And he can give you this joy that's everlasting. And then Paul might tell them the story of Jesus, how he died on the cross and was resurrected so that they could have this good and right relationship with, with the God who loves them and the God who created them. And then, and then maybe he would say, is this the Jesus you want? And they would say yes. And as they finished their shift with Paul and they headed back to the barracks, they felt this lightness about them. They felt this joy in them. They felt happy for the first time. And they go back to the barracks and they tell their commander, listen, this Paul guy, yeah, he's a Jesus freak, but he's got something to say. And what he said changed my life. And the commander might say, okay, y'all are crazy. Go scrub the toilets. And y'all, Roman toilets were nasty, right? And so they might be scrubbing those toilets, singing the songs that they heard Paul singing praying the prayers that they heard Paul praying. And they might be scrubbing those toilets, looking happy. And their commander might come to them and say, guys, listen, I've treated you like dirt. How in the world are you happy right here? And they might say the same thing that Paul said. I have one word, and his name is Jesus. 
That's how we can be happy. And that is how the gospel spread among the guards. That is how the gospel spread all the way to the palace. Is because our Jesus does make a difference. So you see, persecution promotes the gospel to those who are connected to the persecuted, which means this. When you are being persecuted, the joy that you have is seen as happiness to those who are watching you that don't know Jesus. They see this joy in you that that surpasses your friends, that surpasses your spouse even, that surpasses your job, and they say, how? How in the world can you be happy when this is happening? And you have a great opportunity to say, listen, it looks like happiness to you, but it's actually joy in me. And that joy comes from knowing that I have a relationship with God that will never stop and never falter because of what Jesus has done. And you have the same one-word answer that that Paul probably had, that these guards had, and that one word answer is Jesus because the joy you have is the happiness that they see. That's what evangelism is. In simplest terms, evangelism is you living out your faith in a way that causes people to ask questions, that causes people to look at you and go, how can you be doing this? Why are you doing this? And when they notice, you have the same one-word answer, Jesus. When the what of God's plan doesn't make sense, we can trust the why, that he has taken the gospel deeper in you and taken the gospel deeper, uh, taken the gospel wider than you because it causes those who are watching us to ask why. The joy you and I experience when we are being mistreated because of our identification with Jesus Christ causes people to ask questions. And those questions have one answer, and his name is Jesus. Thank you, Billy. First service is so quiet. Can you attend both? That'd be fantastic. <laughs> Look at verse 14. And let's see who else, what else this persecution does. Verse 14 says this. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So not only does, does persecution affect those that are literally connected to the persecuted, to those who don't know Jesus, persecution also has this effect on those who do know Jesus. That when we see people going through persecution and they have joy about them, it inspires us to share that same joy and invites us to promote the gospel as well, that persecution promotes the gospel to those who are inspired by the persecuted. There's, there's, did you know there's an organization called Voice of the Martyrs? And their whole mission is to tell you, the church, what's happening with the church worldwide. Because they know if you see a picture and you see the story and you see the prayer request of somebody who is suffering persecution, that it will inspire you to share the gospel. It will inspire you to have the same joy that you see in them when you're suffering persecution. Because when they have joy in the midst of their persecution, you have joy in the midst of your persecution, even if it's big or small. So not only does persecution create evangelism, it creates discipleship. We can learn from other brothers and sisters what persecution looks like and how to experience joy in the midst of that persecution. That's part of discipleship. That you can be inspired in your life by the gospel that they're willing to lose their lives for. And so the joy that you have 
when you're going through persecution inspires me to have joy when I'm going through persecution. The joy that I have when I'm going through persecution inspires you to have joy when you're going through persecution. I was on a mission trip in Latvia. I'd spent the summer there. There was this old man at a bus stop that I would see uh, almost every day. I'd see him regularly. And he had this necklace. It was a little silver chain, a little silver pendant. I thought it was a coin. And one day I, asked, uh, I worked up the nerve to actually talk to him because I figured um, either he doesn't speak English, and this will be a very short conversation because I didn't have a translator with me at that point, or he does speak English, and I'll get to know this new friend here that I'm going to see at the bus stop. So I asked him one day, I was like, hey, do you speak English? And he said, yes. And he spoke really good English too, by the way. I said, hey, I've noticed this necklace. I could tell that it had a cross on it and it was a round pendant. Like I said, I thought it was a coin. And I said, what's the story of your necklace? Because honestly, I thought he's probably in a legalistic church or denomination and probably does church but doesn't know the gospel that that, that that pendant represents. I was wrong. Because he told me, he said, oh, this pendant, he said, it reminds me of when I was in prison for my faith. That when the communists came through, we had a, cho- a choice to, to burn our Bibles or to live by faith. And I chose to live by faith. And I was thrown in jail. And they let me keep this necklace. And this necklace reminds me of a time when I, even though I was in prison, that the Holy Spirit and and the presence of God was more real to me than any time in my life. He goes, that's what this reminds me of. Y'all, I left, I got on my bus and he got on a different bus. I left that bus, uh, that, that bus stop more inspired to share the gospel. Because that God, that Jesus is worth it. And then Paul does this, which is interesting to me. Look at verse 15. It says, some indeed have preached Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. And so Paul is saying here, like, listen, the gospel is going out. And it's going out in two different ways. One way, it's going out by people who are preaching the gospel out of goodwill and honesty and integrity, and they genuinely want to see lives changed. But there's this other group of people, and I love that Paul is even acknowledging them because he said there's this other group of people that they're out there preaching the gospel just to keep me here in prison. Now, here's the part I don't understand. One, I don't understand how that could even work, that somebody preaching the gospel would keep Paul in prison. But two, I don't understand it from them just as a basic career move. Like, if you're going to preach the gospel in an era where if you preach the gospel, you're going to get thrown in jail, like, that is, that is not an upward move, Right? Maybe they thought if they got thrown in jail, they could renounce Christ and move on. I don't know. But what I love is Paul's response. Because even here, we don't see him look at his circumstances and take pity. We don't see him look at his circumstances and say, woe is me. I wish they would be quiet and and stop making it bad for me. Look at what happens in verse 18. He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So he's telling these Philippians, listen, there's this group of people, 
they're preaching the gospel, it's great. There's another group of people, they're preaching the gospel and they're doing it for bad motives, they're doing it for weird reasons, they're doing it to make me look bad and make them look good. But you know what? The gospel's being preached. I rejoice in that. The gospel is spreading even through means that I would think it wouldn't, even through means that actually hurt me, the gospel is spreading. And so not only does the gospel, you know, does persecution promote the gospel to those who don't know the gospel that are connected to you, not only does it promote the gospel to those who do know Jesus that are watching, but it also takes the gospel deeper into you. It takes, it promotes the gospel to you because Persecution promotes the gospel to those who are being persecuted. And here we see how. Because Paul's joy in the midst of persecution is seeing that gospel go out. Which means this. Paul is not looking at his own circumstances. He is looking for what God is doing in the world and celebrating it. He's not Woe is me, I'm in prison. He's like, listen, I'm in prison, that's a fact. But the gospel is spreading, that's a fact. And I'm gonna rejoice over the fact that the gospel is spreading. And so when we suffer persecution of any kind because of our identity in Christ, it is an opportunity for us not to anchor our happiness in our circumstances, but to anchor our joy in the joy that's completely and always available to us. And the joy that Jesus provides. You see, our joy is found in looking beyond our situation. And y'all, sometimes that's hard. Sometimes this little thing gets in the way of that big thing. And so let me give you some ways to help. Real quick question. How many of you in, in 2018 suffered persecution of any kind? Whether small Somebody laughed at you, whether somebody rolled eyes at you or big. Anybody? Yeah. Here's what I'm gonna do at the end. One, if you raised your hand or wanted to raise your hand, but you're a little nervous, I get it. I'm gonna pray for you. For those of us who didn't raise our hands, I'm gonna pray that we do suffer persecution. As scary as that is, it will take the gospel deeper in you and take the gospel wider than you. And it gives you an opportunity to experience the joy of the Lord in a way that you can't. And here's some ways to help. One, when persecution happens, remember that persecution is a normal part of the Christian experience. Right, when you said yes to Jesus, you said yes to living life differently than the culture around you, differently than friends around you, and people are gonna ask you why, and not everybody's gonna understand. I have been called a fool to my face for believing that some guy would actually raise from the dead. People are fine with Jesus being a teacher. They are not fine with him being God. And I've been called a fool for believing that. That's normal. Remember this too, God is in control. The persecution you face is God's plan for your life. We want to avoid it because we like simple, we like comfort, we like easy. Those things don't usually grow our faith. Persecution takes the gospel deeper in you and wider than you. And your persecution can promote the gospel too. And then remember this, that God is faithful. 
He has always provided for you. He will always provide for you. He has never forsaken you. He will never forsake you. He is faithful. He has delivered you before, and he will do it again. And then remember this. You are not alone, even when you feel alone. I love that song that we sang right before the the sermon started, that your love defends me. That love of God defends you in the midst of persecution. And when you think you're alone, you are never alone. If you have said yes to Jesus, he is always right there beside you. As a matter of fact, Jesus told us so many times because he said, I will never leave you and forsake you. He said it to his disciples. He says it to us. He will never lead us and forsake us, leave us and forsake us. He also said that he is the light of the world. He is this big wall of sunshine behind us that we let these little things eclipse. And when these little things eclipse this, they're eclipsing our relationship with Jesus. They're eclipsing the joy that's provided in Jesus all the time, anywhere, and all it takes is a shift. You are never alone. And you are forgiven. Because these are going to get in the way. You confess it, you repent of it, and you move on. That's the joy of forgiveness. You don't have to hold on to this. And then remember this. You have the same one-word answer to the question why that Paul had, that the guards probably had. You have it. And that one answer is what? Jesus. Jesus. And so when you get asked why, why can you have joy? Why can you be happy? We say, I have one word, Jesus. He changed my life. He can change yours. And if you haven't said yes to Jesus, maybe today's the day that you move your happiness from things that are fleeting to things that are eternal. And today's the day that you get to experience joy for the first time. And for those of us who have said yes to Jesus, maybe there's a perspective shift that needs to happen. And you do need to remember you have one word answer to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you are a good God. And you are faithful and you are loving and you are kind and, 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 and you offer forgiveness uh, that, is, that is grounded in an empty tomb. And so it is eternal. You have forgiven us. And because of that, we have this good and and right relationship with you. And for those people who have experienced any level of persecution because of their identity with Jesus, any type of mistreatment, Father, I pray that you would give them hope and you would give them courage and you would give them um, um, just this persistence to keep going. That they wouldn't be tempted to to give up. They wouldn't be tempted to turn away from you, but instead they would align themselves even more fully with you and that in that you would give them joy. And for those of us who didn't raise our hands, I pray that when we face persecution, we will remember that we are not alone and we can have joy even when all of life isn't making sense that there will be a day where everything does make sense. There will be a day when persecution never exists again. And we long for that day in heaven. 
And until then, Father, would you give us joy? In Christ's name we pray, amen.